Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Good morning, One Hope Church. It's good to see you guys. I'm Calicus Jones. I am the worship assistant and the young adults pastor here. And for those of you who don't recognize the latter part of that title, that's because that is a new ministry that we are starting for our young adults here. I'm really excited about it, and you guys will hear a lot more about that in the near future. It's always an honor to get to speak to you guys, and I'm so excited. My prayer today is the prayer that Pastor Scott has for us every week, that we will receive a truth from God and that we will become more like Jesus because of it. Now, I've been tasked today with finishing a series, an awesome series that we've been in called Encounters. And I don't have a long message for you guys because Pastor Scott has done a great job along with uh, Pastor Dick Emery of showing us that when people encountered Jesus in the Bible, they were changed. They were changed. And in this series, as I was going through it myself, I noticed a theme throughout this series, a message that Jesus was sharing. And it wasn't directly related to the message that Pastor Scott was preaching on, the specific thing, but it was something that Jesus was demonstrating as he was um, speaking and interacting with these people. And I want to I wanna share that with you guys. And so we're going to be digging into the book of Matthew. But before we get there, I want to acknowledge something that I think we all have in common, a desire that we all strive to achieve. And that is greatness. As a human being, there's something in us that desires to be great. We can't help it. And if you think about it, in your day-to-day lives, no matter what it is that you do, you want to be seen and you want to be viewed as awesome, right? Valued, worthy, important, significant in your actions, in your life's energy. You want to be great. And that is something that we all can relate to. It doesn't matter. The humblest of people still desire this. And to prove that, I'm going to ask you guys to participate with me a little bit. I want to hand out some awards, okay? Where are my teachers at in the room? Teachers, raise your hands. Got some teachers in here? All right. I'm going to give you an award, okay? Keep your hand up if you'd like to receive the award for being Mediocre Teacher of the Year. Dropped. Hands dropped. Mm-hmm. Business owners. Where are my business owners? Everybody who owns businesses, all right? How about this? Almost good enough business owner of the year. You like that? No? Oh, okay. Students. Where are my students? All of my students in here. Got some students? What about who's who among the basic mediocre student? No? I don't like that? All right. Parents. Where are my parents? Got parents in the house, okay. The most average mom and dad award. Yeah, (laughs) Bradley's like, yeah. No, nobody wants to receive those awards. Why? Why is this? It's because we want to be known as great. The best business owners, the best teachers, awesome mom and dad's greatness. Yes, why is this? Well, I believe it's because we're created and we bear the image of the greatest being that exists, God Almighty, the Lord, Elohim, the King. We are his walking and living fingerprint, amen? And so of course, we want to be great because he is great, yes? 
And we love associating ourselves with greatness. I'm going to talk about you a little bit, Tuscaloosa. May 31st will be the third year that I will be here. And there's one thing that I have learned for sure. If you spend five minutes in this town, you are bound to see either a red or white Alabama A with roll tide plastered on people's homes, on their cars, on their businesses. Some people have it tattooed on their bodies. Why is this? You already know what I'm going to say. Three words. Crimson Tide Football. You guys love Crimson Tide football. Tuscaloosians, y'all like that I made that up? I think I made it up anyway. Tuscaloosians, you are proud to associate yourself with your football team. Why? It's not because they're mediocre or they lose games a lot. Absolutely not. They are winners. They are winners. University of Alabama is right down the street. These people, this team represents you. You guys live here, and they are great. And so, of course, you're going to represent them. Roll Tide. We're great. Do you guys understand? Greatness is something that we strive to be a part of and we strive to be. Now, the world that we live in is always, always willing to impart its wisdom on us, okay? And the the world has something to say about greatness. Who are considered the greats in the world, okay? The CEOs, the celebrities, the quarterbacks, the politicians, the elite 1%, right? These are the ones who are seen and known. These are the ones who have power and influence, who are celebrated for climbing their way to the top by any means necessary and won't let anything get in their way. Dominate over the weak-minded. Beat out the strong. Get knocked down if you don't get out of my way, right? The world, and we celebrate them. Yeah, 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 they overcame. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who, rep- everybody who represents this group are like this, but if you live in the world, and hopefully everybody in this room is from this planet, <laughs> you understand the world, you understand this messaging, right? Yourself above others, okay? But as a Christian, We don't take our wisdom from the world, but from God, and God has something to say about greatness. There's a conversation that happens in the book of Matthew, and during this conversation, Jesus reveals the secret to the greatness in the kingdom of God. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. If you have your Bibles, open up your phones. I'm going to set this up while you guys get ready. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right? He's been with his disciples. He's established who he is at this point, And they are getting ready to go into Jerusalem, all right? Now, this is the third time that Jesus has predicted his death. And he tells them that, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise the third day, okay? And so he's sharing this with his disciples, and they're getting ready to go into Jerusalem. It's all about to go down. Right when this happens is where this starts, okay? I'm going to read for you. It says, then... So right as Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, okay, kneeled down and asked him for a favor. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those who have been prepared by my father. Now, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what we're reading here is basic human nature at its finest, okay? So we have this mom, right? She's the mother of Zebedee's sons who are James and John. They're two disciples. She comes up, drops down before Jesus, and she asks him for a favor. Now, let's think about this for a second. All the moms in the room, I know that you guys love your kids, right? And you want the best for them. And this is the same thing that's happening here. This mom, she loves her son. She's been hearing about this kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, and she wants her kids to be right there next to Jesus. Everybody wants the best for their children. What she was asking for was status and honor and glory for her sons. Sit at the right and left of King Jesus. She wanted greatness for them. She did. And it wasn't just her, because her sons went in on it too. If, in fact, if you read in the book of Mark's account, it's actually the two sons who are having this conversation with Jesus, and that's not a contradiction. It's just showing that they were all in this together, right? They all wanted part in this. So it wasn't just her. They were there with her. And how does Jesus respond to this statement? With a statement and a question. He says, you have no idea what you are asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? Has anybody ever come up to you just in casual conversation like, man, I wish I had what you had. I wish I, I want a business like yours. I want my kids to be as well behaved as your kids. I want to go on as many vacations as y'all do. I see on Facebook all the time. I want my relationship with God to be as deep as yours. And you hear this and you think, mm, man, you have no idea what I've sacrificed to get my kids to act right when we go into Walmart. You have no idea what I've set aside to be able to pay for these vacations. Can you sacrifice what I've sacrificed? You're thinking this in your head while people are saying, man, I want what you have. It's like, mm, I don't know, do you? Are you willing to sacrifice? It's the same, same thing that's happening here. Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What is he talking about? Well, if you know the gospel, you know that the, what Jesus was re referring to was the way that he was going to establish his kingdom. Jesus establishes his kingdom through the cup of suffering and death, right? Sacrificing himself. And so ignorantly, James and John, they're like, yes, we can, we can drink this cup. And Jesus says to them, yeah, okay, you indeed drink this cup. And basically what he's saying to them is, you will endure the cup of suffering, death. And what we read is that James was actually the first disciple to suffer and die. He was beheaded. 
And John was the last of the disciples, watching all of his brothers martyred and killed, and then suffered through various attempts of his own life, ultimately, ultimately being banished to an island where he spent the rest of his days in isolation. This was his story. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that these positions are not given by him to sit at my right and my left, but by my Father. And I love this because we see another valuable lesson that Jesus is teaching. Even though Jesus was God, okay, he understood that the Father was above him and he was willing to surrender to his will. Jesus wants us to understand and respect hierarchy and authority. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why God created this way. And usually in our context, simply because the people who are over us or who are above us have a little bit more experience at life or what it is that they're doing. They have a better understanding. Okay? Yes, teenagers, I'm talking to you. I see y'all out there regarding your parents. Okay? They are wiser than you. And it's not because they're more intelligent. Okay, it's because they've lived longer. They have more experience at life. And usually the things that they're asking you to do that you don't want to do, they have a reason for it. And it's probably for your good, okay? Because they love you and they care about you. Adults, this applies to you too, okay? Some of you guys who have bosses and people that are over you. And I know y'all probably thinking, mm, my boss is kind of a struggle bus. I don't know. He has about half the experience I do in this field, and yet I have to listen to them tell me what to do. What do you have to say about that? And my response is, we live in a fallen world. What can I say? I don't know. Pray about it. <laughs> I'm sure God is teaching us something even in that, right? He's always teaching. He's always teaching. Let's keep going. Okay, so all this has transpired, and the other disciples, we see them in the back. Okay, the other ten, they are super annoyed at what's happening because their brothers have gone around their backs with their mom to try to steal these positions, Okay. And some of them were probably jealous because they probably had the same thought, but they got to Jesus first. Again, this whole worldly thing of like, this is how we get to the top. We go around, we, we make our way in, okay? Doesn't matter who suffers because of it. And whatever the case may be with them, Jesus sees this and he takes them to the side, okay? Jesus, in, in the way that he is, he brings them along, teaches them again. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. He totally flips the concept of greatness on its head, right? Totally flips it. And what we're seeing is an upside-down principle, an upside-down principle in the kingdom of God. And the idea is this. The key to greatness is sacrificial living. The key to greatness is sacrificial living. Now, does this make sense? No, it doesn't. Not to us. Because how would positioning yourself as a servant make you greater? This is not how things are done in the world, right? You don't put yourself below someone in order to achieve greatness. No, you go above them, and I'm going to rule over you, right? And Jesus acknowledges this, but this is what he says. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus calls them together and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is telling them, this is how you should live. Serving others sacrificially. That's his wisdom. And this is a theme that I've noticed throughout each story that we have talked about this series. Week one, man on the cross, Jesus, through giving his life, can invite this thief into paradise. Week two, woman with the alabaster jar of sense, Jesus sacrifices the potential earnings and declares her forgiven for her act of faith. Week three, we see Jesus at a wedding, and his, his mother Mary tells him to turn water into wine. And instead of, instead of him waiting for the ideal time for him to glorify himself, he sacrifices that in order to show his mom love and to honor the newlyweds. Week four, we see Jesus is on his way to heal a little girl who's on limited time. And then a woman touches him, and he stops and acknowledges her, listens to her whole story her whole story, and then declares her healed by her faith. Week five in the temple, Jesus sacrifices his reputation and the comforts of others by flipping tables in the temple because he was seeing the evil of people taking advantage of those who were trying to serve God. Week six, Zacchaeus in the tree. Jesus is sacrificing his own celebration, his own reception of a large crowd, and the expectation of him to be a part of this celebration in order to spend time with this man who was a sinful man and helped him turn his life around and receive salvation. Every time he sacrificed his own desires, his own comforts, his own will, we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying to God and saying, not my will, but your will be done before giving his life. Every encounter that Jesus had with people, he demonstrated how to completely and fully be a human being enriched and empowered by God to do good for our good and for his glory. So this is the question, church. Why does Jesus ask us to live this way? What does he understand about the pursuit of greatness that is different from the world's definition of greatness? It's really simple. Sacrificial living demonstrates the power of love. Sacrificial living demonstrates the power of love. See, when we live this way, we're showing people the power of love. Love, <laughs> love is the greatest force in all creation. Amen? Even the world understands the power of love. Love, love makes you jump in front of a bullet to save a life. Crazy. Love makes you forget the pains of labor the first time you hold your child in your arms. Love makes you forgive people for things over and over and over and over again. 
and stand by them through hard times. Love makes you work overtime so that you can buy that gift for your wife or your husband or go on that family vacation you've been promising your kids. Love makes you give yourself away in every way to another. It was God's love for us that sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. It was Jesus' love for the Father that made him obedient to do what he was called to do. And it changed everything, everything. That is greatness. And we shout, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised because of what he's done. And we sing, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. We call him great because of what he's done. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same, to become great as he was by exampling this power of love to each other and to the world through servanthood and through sacrificial living, just as he did. At the end of Jesus' time here on earth, he said to his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go make more of yourselves, right? Now, a side note for those of you guys who, who love Scripture and love to see Scripture point to Scripture and how it all ties together, if you're a nerd like me, this was the restoration call on humanity in Genesis when God said, go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, right? Except this time he wasn't telling people to go make more human beings in the flesh. He was saying, go make people born of the spirit. Jesus restores everything. So church, can we take a moment and just, just look at our lives, look at our lives and this calling? Because we, we've already determined that we all want to be great. Yes? If Jesus is asking us to do it this way, to achieve greatness this way, to build our lives on his love, demonstrated through what he has told us is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, as individuals, are we actually living this way? Do we literally wake up every day and go about the things that we're doing with an understanding of who we are, servants to the Most High God? Everything that we do is for Him. Do we ask ourselves that, hey, am I willing to sacrifice all of my desires for the sake of love because God first loved me? And in doing that, I will achieve greatness. A lot of us don't live this way. We don't. And there's a reason why. <laughs> because it's hard. It's hard. It is hard to live sacrificially, to live considering others, to swallow our pride and to put others before ourselves. That is hard to do in the flesh. Why? Because of the power of sin and the flesh. It makes us weak. Living this way requires real, 
real power. It's easy to live selfishly. It's easy to only think about yourself. Everything in media screams for us to do that. But it's hard to live this way. It requires real power. And that power comes from one source. And that is the Holy Spirit. Understand this. In order to become great, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live sacrificially. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live sacrificially. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, you will receive power. Before you go and do the work that I've asked you to do, before you go and live the way I've asked you to live and achieve greatness, wait for the Spirit. I know living this way is hard. But church, we don't have to do it on our own. Because are we not filled with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit that empowered the disciples to go and make more disciples? God has given us everything that we need, including himself, so that we could do it. Are we not gifted with spiritual gifts for a reason? Are we not able to speak blessings with our words to the Spirit for a reason? Are we not resourced with time and energy and health and intellect, creativity and abundance? Yes, but it's not just for us to enjoy or with our immediate circles. No, it is for us to give away sacrificially just as Jesus did. See, God in the very beginning has demonstrated this for us. He created a planet that is so beautiful, so full of life. He's given us his breath and so many pleasures to enjoy. For what? <laughs> Just because he loves us. He wants us to enjoy him and each other. And he wants us to demonstrate that, demonstrate what he's done with each other, living sacrificially. And when we do that, we are great. This is the calling that God has on us. Greatness through sacrificial living. We've already established that this is a desire that we have to be great. But can we decide today that we will achieve greatness in our lives, in our individual lives, the way that Jesus has shown us how to do it. Through sacrifice and through servanthood. Just like Jesus did. So that when people encounter us, they will be changed. Just like when they encounter Jesus. This is our calling. 
we get to live this way and be known as great in the kingdom of God. Let's stand together, church. God has given everything away. He has made it all available for us. Everything that we have is a blessing from the Lord. Everything that we, that embodies our lives, God has given to us. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to steward it and hold it in for ourselves? Or are we going to make ourselves available to this calling that God has for us to live this way? And he promises us, if you do this, you will be great. So as we move into this time of worship, I want you to reflect, reflect on this word, on this calling. Assess your lives. Look in and ask yourselves, am I living this way? Am I making myself available every day to the Lord and to this calling so that I can achieve greatness? Not based on what the world says, but based on what Jesus has told us and what he has shown us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and that you have shown us how to live. You didn't just tell us, Lord, you demonstrated it with your life. And then you empowered us by your spirit to do so. You told us greater things will we do greater things will we do as one. And so I pray today, God, that we will make ourselves available to you, to your calling. And in that, Lord, that you will smile on us and say, you are great in the kingdom of God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.